Our passage this morning comes from the book of Job, chapter 32. This will be the Job chapters 32 through 37 are the address of a newcomer uh, to the debates with Job and his friends, Elihu. Elihu evidently, as we shall see, was sitting there uh, with the aged men, uh, a man who uh, did not think to um, speak until those older than he had done so. Um, we will look at Elihu today and, and his message, well, certain points of his message, uh, and, and that will prepare us for the rest of the chapters with him. A certain enigmatic character uh, he is in this history. Uh, before I read the passage, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer that he would bless the reading and preaching of his word. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Christ Jesus again. Uh, we ask for his spirit, the Holy Spirit, that he would dwell within our hearts, uh, that he who gave these words... Uh, to be our infallible instruction, uh, to teach your wisdom infallibly to us, that he himself would do so, that he would accompany the reading of these words this morning, that he would accompany the preaching of them, that he would dwell within our hearts and make sure that we receive them. And as Jesus' parable goes, that he would prepare our hearts, that these words might not fall on deaf ears, and that these words might not fall upon a shallow heart, our distracted heart with the love of this world, but rather that this, these words would find good soil to be planted in, that they might grow and bear the fruit which you intend by it, that we might be trained and instructed, that we might be corrected and reproved, and that we might be thoroughly furnished to do the work of our Savior Jesus Christ in all things. We pray this in his name. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word from the book of Job, chapter 32. So these three men ceased to answer Job, because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, of the kindred of Ram, against Job, and his, excuse me, and against Job, was his wrath kindled, because he justified himself rather than God. Also against his three friends was his wrath kindled, because they had found no answer, and yet had condemned Job. Now Elihu had waited till Job had spoken, because they were elder than he. When Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his wrath was kindled. And Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, answered and said, I am young. And ye are very old. Wherefore I was afraid, and durst not show you my opinion. I said days should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. Therefore I said, hearken to me, I also will show you my opinion. Behold. I waited for your words, I gave ear to your reasons, whilst you searched out what to say. Yea, I attended unto you, and behold, 
There was none of you that convinced Job or that answered his words, lest ye should say, We have found out wisdom. God thrusteth him down, not man. Now, he had not directed his words against me, neither will I answer him with your speeches. They were amazed. They answered no more. They left off speaking. When I had waited, for they spoke not, but stood still and answered no more, I said, I will answer also my part. I also will show my opinion, for I am full of matter. The spirit within me constraineth me. Behold, my belly is as wine which hath no vent. It is ready to burst like new bottles. I will speak that I may be refreshed. I will open my lips and answer. Let me not, I pray you, accept any man's person. Neither let me give flattering titles unto men. For I know not to give flattering titles. In so doing, my maker would soon take me away. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever, and his people said, Amen. These are the words of the Lord, uh, but so was the words of Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar and of Job. Uh, This all together is the word of God for us and for our wisdom and understanding. Uh, We see here that Elihu is impatient to champion wisdom. And so much so that in verses 18 through 20, uh, he basically compares uh, himself to a man that has uh, uh, drunk much wine and needs to give vent to the wine. Uh, what my, my mom would always call didos, in other words. Um, the, that he, is, he has a, a full and urgent bladder, uh, and as it were, not of of wine, but of words that he's been listening and it's been building up and he hasn't been able to constrain himself and he wants to speak. And so he speaks and he speaks a great deal in a long time. And and we see uh, that his intent is to champion wisdom. He sets himself to critique Job and he sets himself to critique his friends. Job, he's concerned uh, and, and ticked off at because in verse 2, uh, Job had justified himself rather than God. Uh, meaning that the problem, as we shall see this to be the case, the problem with Job in Elihu's eyes is that Job was so concerned about his integrity, which was being called into question by Job's friends, that he didn't give a good enough guard to the, 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 the cast he was putting on God's character. Remember, Job uh, said quite plainly that the Lord is against me, that the Lord is uh, acting with enmity against me. And Elihu thinks that this is blasphemous and not to be born. He also is not pleased at all with uh, the friend's stubborn uh, Refusal to listen to Job, or at least to answer Job's uh, assertion of his own integrity. That, remember, the friends had concluded that Job was a vile and secret oppressive hypocrite simply because he was suffering the way he was. That they had no evidence. Job seemed to be holy, but this was only an argument that his holiness was a sham. Because if he was truly holy, then the Lord would not have treated him so. 
And therefore, the only argument they had for their supposition that Job was a hypocrite was Job's sufferings, which Job was trying to say that, no, you can't judge uh, God's favor by sufferings. But they held nevertheless. In fact, this we're told explicitly that they stopped speaking because they have concluded that Job is self-righteous and obstinate in it. Now, it's important to understand because Elihu's place in the book of Job is one of these things that causes us to scratch our head. When God takes uh, to the scene and, and speaks to the matter in chapter 38, uh, he is picking up I mean, Elihu. We're not even positive Elihu uh, brings his speech to a full conclusion before uh, God appears in the whirlwind. God will bring many of the things that Elihu says also into his speech. But interestingly, in chapter 42, where we have the fine finality and the judgment of the Lord, uh, we have God vindicating Job against his three friends. He says the three friends did not speak what was right in the Lord, and therefore they should seek unto Job, who did speak what was right in the sight of the Lord, and have him intercede on their behalf. Elihu is not mentioned. Some will take this, it's the three, since he's not called out with the three friends, that what he spoke was true. And what he spoke was a supplement or a precursor to what God spoke. Others will point out that Elihu is not justified and that uh, the actual contention between God and Job uh, doesn't mention Elihu's arguments. And indeed, they don't exactly uh, uh, gel very well with God's exoneration of Job's words because it's exactly Job's words that Elihu uh, attacks. But all of those are questions that are concerned with the, the lesser matter of the book of Job. And our confession of faith, our tradition teaches us, and rightly so, that the interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. That the Holy Spirit is his own interpreter. Uh, we don't have a commentary on the book of Job in Scripture, so we're not talking about that exactly. But the way the book of Job is referred to in the rest of Scripture, particularly and most explicitly by the Apostle James, or the writer James, is that we are looking at the patience of Job as our model. And we remember the beginning of the book of Job, that what is at stake here is not so much... Elihu, not Elihu's arguments, but not so much the three friends, Eliphaz, uh, Bildad, and Zophar's accusations against Job, and not even so much as Job's understanding of why he suffered, but rather would he patiently endure suffering looking unto the Lord. Remember, it is Satan that comes and says, Job who the Lord has called out as a holy and good man, is only a holy and good man because he prospers. And if he ceases to prosper, he will curse the Lord. We saw the things that God allowed Satan to do to Job to prove and vindicate Job's faith. 
doesn't feel to Job like he is being vindicated through his suffering, but that's exactly what is going on. Job is being vindicated to the accusations of Satan. Satan didn't stop when he had killed Job's children and taken his possessions and taken his health and given him boils. uh, Satan continued by twisting the, the judgment and the wisdom of his friends so that Job had accusations against his integrity piled on top of him. Now Job has, has answered his integrity such that he has stopped the mouths of his friends. And there's one that seems to come impartial to him uh, with great wisdom, as we shall see. But nevertheless, uh, that attacks Job. And we are, I think the best way to look at this is that we're still looking in in many ways, at at the trial of Job's patience. Will he deny his integrity and thereby look upon God as not his salvation and his wickedness? Will he allow his words to be corrupted? And it also goes to show how easily Satan can use wise words to his own end. Like his three friends, we shall see that Elihu stubbornly mishears Job. That's for future discussion. Uh, But I I want to put that out there so that we can have Elihu situated well and see how uh, the, the prophet that recorded these things for us mean for us to understand Elihu. Just like with Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, there is much great wisdom that we need to hear from them. Uh, The error of Elihu will be like the error of Job's three friends. He will take the truth, but he will misapply. And and it will be such that we will see it. We will see sometimes he takes Job's words and he puts on the meanings that Job himself did not intend and which we ourselves had saw that Job did not mean. Uh, Good words, if you change their context, can be bad words or not helpful words. And so we see that in, in the speeches of Elihu. We also see, though, a certain distinction between Job's virtue, Job's defining characteristic, that which Job is called out and set in this great cross and tribulation for us to learn is his patience and his endurance. But we have from Elihu's own mouth that he is impatient. That he rushes to take a job uh, that he has not been given. Elihu is taking upon himself the role of God's spokesman. Uh, This is... uh, is an answer to Job's own desire in many ways in chapter 31, verses 35 and following. Oh, that one would hear me. Behold, my desire is that the Almighty would answer me and that my adversary that had written a book, you know, that he might lay out my charge. He had already uh, asked for daysmen between he and the Lord at one time. One that would kind of condescend to treat with Job as another man would on God's behalf. 
And Elihu is taking this role upon himself. He will take a different path than the friends with Job. Uh, He says in verse 14, Now he has not directed his words against me. This is an argument directed at his friends. And neither will I answer him with your speeches. Uh, I'm not going to try to uh, take this hypothesis of his secret iniquity and press it upon him. I have other things wherewith to argue with him. And he seeks to be fair. 21, 22. Let me not, I pray you, accept any man's person. Neither give me a flattering titles unto man. And, and he sort of flatters himself in not being flattered. Uh, I, I know not to give flattering titles. and so doing, my maker would soon take me away. And this is all par for the course of his uh, justifying his youth uh, that we see earlier in verses 6 and 7. His, his hesitancy to speak before the aged. But he has wisdom, he believes, if God will so give it to him. Verses 8 and 9. There is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Great men are not always wise, and neither do the aged understand judgment. It's interesting. That, and to order to give some credence to his own wisdom, Elihu has to take something of the same sort of tack that Job takes with, uh, with suffering. Uh, good things don't always happen to the righteous, and, and bad things don't always happen to the wicked. You can't always tell God's favor. This is the, the language of Solomon in uh, Ecclesiastes 9, but nevertheless, it's also what Job has been saying, that the like happens to the wicked and to the good. Uh, it sometimes happens that the righteous are treated as the wicked, and the wicked are treated as the righteous. And under the sun, in this present life, it's not always clear to see God's favor. Well, conventional wisdom also said that the older you were, the wiser you were. And Eliphaz is saying, that's not always true. God's favor of wisdom is doesn't always go with the senior and uh, with the, the aged. Uh, it's in principle, it's the same sort of argument uh, that Job is making. Uh, it never really fleshes out. He never sees the full ramifications of that, but that is what he is saying. But he does recognize that his wisdom, if he has it at all, comes from the Lord. And yet, in verses 18 through 20, as we saw, he's very impatient to speak. Uh, he uh, thus, he's anxious to excuse his youth. Uh, that, that, you know, he's going to let the, the aged go first. Uh, he gave them a chance, verses 11 through 13. I waited for your words. I gave ear to your reasons. Whilst you searched out what to say, yea, I attended unto you, and behold, there was none of you that could convince Job or that answered his words. And the reason why, lest you should say, we have found out wisdom. Note that he is saying that the reason why they couldn't convince Job is because God had denied it to them, because that would puff them up in their own wisdom. Uh, Ye have found out wisdom, rather God will thrust him down and not man. Which is a good bit of theology there. And that's what I want us to look at as we take the, the lessons out of this. Primarily, uh, we want to look at verses 8 and verse 13. We want to see the good things that Eliphaz uh, mentions. Uh, Elihu, excuse me, not Eliphaz. Elihu has been impatient to champion wisdom. And yet, even by Elihu's own words, we see that wisdom doesn't need champions. It needs followers or practitioners. 
It needs wise people. Wisdom comes from God, and it comes from God in order to glorify God. That is basically the summary of verse 8, where there is a spirit in man, and which is repeated in a different form. The inspiration of the Almighty giveth man understanding. And 13, God will thrust him down. God will be wise and not man. And so first we see that wisdom comes from God, and it comes from God to glorify God. It is part of that image that we receive of him. In uh, Proverbs chapter 2, uh, verses 6 through uh, 9, we read from Solomon, For the Lord gives wisdom, and out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He lays up sound, sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keeps the path of judgment and preserves the way of the saints. Then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, every good path. In chapter 20, verse 27 of Proverbs, <clears throat> The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly, searching all of even our own heart. Jeremiah says in 17, 9 and 10, uh, the, the thoughts of man, the, the wickedness of the heart, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? The Lord searches it. And therefore, when we see the wickedness of our own heart, which we will always naturally put ourselves in the best light, we will always try to excuse our own wickedness. When we are humbled, it is because the Lord is revealing something to us. The Holy Spirit is making clear and illuminating the truth. And that is what we receive. It's all receive something of this. Uh, as, as part of conscience, as part of the way things go. In Romans chapter 2, uh, verses uh, 14 and 15, Paul, speaking of the law, uh, notes that even the heathen have something of this, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law revealed unto them, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are therefore a law unto themselves. In other words, they have also something of them of the revelation of the law of God, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or excusing one another. All receive something of conscience, but it is only uh, by the Spirit that we, we know it full well the wisdom of God. Its goal is to reveal God, and therefore only those to whom have been born again have the fullness of it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 11 and 12, and this, by the way, is the rationale for Scripture and the reason why we have to, to know God simply by His own revelation, that we don't seek to create a theology simply by rational deduction. We're not Platonic philosophers. We're not Descartes. We're not... Uh, enlightenment people that submit to no authority because God cannot be revealed except by God. For what man knoweth, the chapter, 1 Corinthians 2, 11, for what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit which is of God that we might know the things freely given to us of God. In other words, God gives us His eternal wisdom and His Spirit that we might know Him. What does Jesus say about the Holy Spirit in 
John chapter 16. That he doesn't speak of his own, but he takes the things he knows of the Savior, of Jesus Christ, and he points us back to him. The reason why the church was baptized with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit has been with us ever since, is that we might know Christ, even though Christ in the flesh is in heaven above at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That we might nevertheless know Him truly because He reveals Himself to us by the Divine Spirit. And here we see not, I mean, Elihu is not pointing us to Christ. But Elihu is recognizing that whatever wisdom that he has, it is from God, and that God's intention is to reveal himself unto us and glorify his wisdom. God always glorifies himself. It's wrong for you and I to glorify ourselves because we're not glorious in and of ourselves. But it would be wrong for God to do the same and not glorify himself because he's the only true glory there is. What is not virtuous for us to glorify ourselves is the impediment of virtue for God to glorify himself. And therefore, our virtue is found in glorifying God also. All things, God included, glorify God. That's their intention. God gives wisdom that we might participate in that and do that. And he doesn't give his glory to another. And so, in... In also in the first Corinthians, Paul writes, verse chapter 1, 26, For ye see your calling, uh, brethren, that not many of you, uh, many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, things which are not... Why? To bring to nothing things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorifieth, let him glory in the Lord. We saw this in our unison lesson this morning with the publican. The publican recognized that he had no righteousness but God only. And he went away justified. That is, if you, because we're mixing two different languages here when we speak. He went away righteous. He wasn't just. He admitted that he had no justice. And he goes away justified. He was not righteous. He admitted he had no righteousness. And he goes away righteous. That is the gospel, by the way. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Until you know yourself to be a sinner, the sinner, till you know your righteousness is in Christ Jesus and you trust him for it, you will not be righteous and there's no justification for you. That's what it means to be justified by faith and not by works. But notice that Paul doesn't limit it to righteousness. He speaks also of redemption. That is our glory, our eternal glory. It's not just something that mankind does. When they die, they then pop up as resurrected people at the end of time. No, that's done through Christ and in Christ. Also, uh, our sanctification, our holiness is not had the same way that our justification is, but it's there by the grace of Christ. We are made holy through His grace and mercy. We are conformed to Him. 
but also wisdom and understanding. It's not to deny that the world uh, has wisdom. The world also has justice, does it not? Some of it. It also has, uh, there is a certain sense of holiness. We see a false and quasi-holiness in other religions and in the corruptions of our own. It has even a, a certain expectation of redemption. But in none of these are its true and lasting, and the same goes with wisdom. Wisdom comes from God in order to return unto God. It comes from God to lead us back unto the Lord. By the way, this is exactly who Christ is. He is the wisdom of God in the flesh to bring us unto God. That's what John says. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, the logic, the, or we might even use a, a similar word, the Sophia, the, the wisdom of God in order that we might be saved and brought in to the company of God and be born again. This is uh, that truth. It is the light that lightens every man that comes into the world. 1 John 4, verse 9, uh, verse 4. It is, he is what light we have, we have from Christ, either partially and in a corrupt way, or in the glorious way through the gospel. And therefore, when we look at Elihu and any that would trust in their own wisdom or put themselves in the place of God, we see by Elihu's own principles, he's going to fall short. He says in 13, the reason why they did not convince Job was lest they should say we have found out wisdom. God will thrust him down and not men. The same goes for Elihu. God will be glorified in his own wisdom and not men's wisdom. Wisdom needs no champion. What wisdom needs is practitioners. Now, we it would probably behoove us to go back and say, well, what should have his friends done and what should have Elihu done then? What would have been the wise course of action? Well, his friends had it right in the beginning. They came to comfort him and to mourn with him, to be there, to encourage him despite his sufferings that God is good and gracious, to remind him that despite the fact that it appears to Job that God is against him, that that could not be to bear patient until they see the outcome, whatever it might be. To trust God's wisdom as much as they're calling on Job to trust God's wisdom. To be patient with not knowing and being confused and not understanding everything until God himself had made it clear. That would have been the course of wisdom. It was not the course that Job's three friends, nor this young buck that comes to teach the old folks theology, took. And I think we also need to look at Elihu as a bit of a warning to beware of an impatience to speak, as we see in 18 through 20. Uh, verses 18 through 20 is really a condemnation. 
I am full of matter, but the spirit within me constraineth me. Behold, my belly is as wine which hath no vent. It is ready to burst like new bottles. I will speak that I may be refreshed. I will open my lips and I will answer. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 3 says, It is an honor for a man to cease from strife, but every fool will be meddling. The friends, because they were wise, had ceased from strife. They may have been incorrect in their judgment about Job, but they understood that continuing debate would get nowhere with anyone. And they stopped. And here, Elihu, unsatisfied with that, has decided to push the debate forward, or at least to do what he can to get the, the ball rolling. Wisdom needs to take time to compose itself. In Proverbs 17, 27, and 28, He that hath knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Even a fool, when he holds his peace, is counted wise, and he that shuts up his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 20, Seest thou the man that is hasty in his words? There is more hope of a fool than of him. There should probably be confession from the pulpit. Nobody is more hasty to speak than a minister of the gospel. Oftentimes, with the exact same motivation as Elihu. But we need to understand, whether regardless that God does give us direction in the opposite way. That, that to, to fully appreciate Job's perseverance means that Job had to persevere without understanding everything. As we will see, when God makes his revelation unto Job, he never tells Job about the original purpose of his suffering. That is always held from Job. Job doesn't know, as far as we can tell from the words written in the book for our instruction, Job never knows about the audience of Satan with God. Job never knows that God put him forward as the model of godliness. God, Job never knows that, that Satan was the one that was instigating the suffering. It doesn't matter. That's not where Job's wisdom lies. Job's virtue and his wisdom was trusting God no matter what was happening. And to be quiet. And to recognize that there are things we will never know. There are times when we are to speak. Solomon himself says there is a time for speaking and a time to refrain from speaking. But there is also a rule of thumb. And knowing that wisdom comes from God in order to return unto God, these are the things that we can ask ourselves. If we're itching, especially in a theological debate, but really on anything, will what I say magnify Christ, or will it magnify my own righteousness or myself? Will it glorify Christ's love by showing His love, by sharing in his love, 
by encouraging in his love, like his three friends began, sitting there with him for seven days in his misery, just being present with him, or will it seek to cast down in order to lift yourself up? When we think about, especially when we are anxious and biting to, uh, to speak, when it hits us as, as maybe a full bladder might hit us, we recognize we're not constrained by the body in these things. We need to pause and remember the purpose of the Holy Spirit, remembering that we speak because God has given us speech, that we have words because of the Word of God, and therefore our words need to proceed from the Lord in order to magnify the Lord and return unto Him. When we look at Elihu, we will listen when he speaks well. But we will also look at him as an example that is at counterpoint to Job's patience. And we need to remember that while we want to be like Job, we are often fighting not to be like Elihu. And, and that also, remember... One of the the worst fires of wickedness, says James, is the tongue. It is one of our greatest dangers, is are the words that we speak. Uh, It's not just to be holy in our hands, the works of our hands, not just to be holy even with our hearts, but we have to be holy with what we speak. Isaiah says, Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips and of a people of unclean lips. Our speech, our deeds, our thoughts, all to good return to the wisdom of our Lord. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. And we confess, dear Lord, that we are often moved great deeply, even by a righteous indignation, even by good motives to do vain things and promote ourselves, We are like the Pharisee who would comfort ourselves with your favor by our own righteousness. That we would exalt ourselves and forget that the iniquity of our heart is such that we needed you, the Lamb of God, to deliver us. We ask that we would be humbled and that we would humbly look to our brethren to comfort, to encourage, and to lift up and to point to Christ and that we ourselves would dwell in Him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.